Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for June 8th of 2014. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And this week we will be talking about the front office shakeup for the Pittsburgh Penguins. New, new general manager in the Steel City, Jim Rutherford. Kind of a surprise hire. Kind of came out of nowhere. And uh, it's not Pierre Maguire. I think that's all anyone cares about at the moment in, in Pittsburghville. Yeah, I, uh, I never really gave that much credence, and I'm glad that it kind of shook out the way that it did on the pier front. Because that means you were right, or just because no one, it just would have been terrible for the club PR-wise to have him there? <laughs> I just don't think his uh, faux Jeopardy knowledge of where people played would have helped them actually build a good hockey team. Yeah, you were on that early. You did mention that pretty early in the whole process. So, No, but it's Rutherford. How surprised were you? Um, extremely. I, I was extremely surprised because as a general rule, and this probably tends more towards the marketing side of, of the way Pittsburgh run their organization, they've sort of been a leader in that sense. They were, they were really quick to get on the, the social media side of things and and, and push for a younger generation of fan for the obvious reason that they don't need the, the fan base to just disappear again. Um, it felt like they decided to go old school um, when I first heard that it was Rutherford. And, um, you know, this all happened 1 or 2 a.m. my time. Um, and so you get up in the morning and you, you sort of see some of these tweets and you go, oh, my goodness, it's a step backwards. But the, the structure of the way they've done it, is well i would say it's new and it's different whether or not it works we, we have to wait and see but it, it's definitely a different way of um putting together your front office to um to basically groom a guy that everyone thought should have got the job anyway yes um my i had a emotional reaction right off the bat that i really hated the move mm. um i i did not want a retread especially one that has had very limited success. And I do understand that the Carolina Hurricanes, and I believe Rutherford explicitly stated this in his press conference, that they're not under the same business model as the Pittsburgh Penguins, but missing the playoffs eight out of the last 10 years is still missing the playoffs eight out of the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, and that's had a bit of a lucky run in one of those years where they got absolutely caned by Pittsburgh in the conference finals. And they did, obviously they did win the Stanley Cup, but um, they were a lot bit fortunate against the Buffalo Sabres, who I think lost four or five of their defensemen <laughs> in that series, and then played the A-seeded Oilers, who lost Dwayne Rollison. So, you know. Yeah, that's the thing. They had a couple of ticks. But, I mean, you've got to have luck when you win the Stanley Cup. Everyone gets luck when they win the Stanley Cup. You can't. You don't go through without something breaking your way. It's pretty simple that way. Yes, correct. Um, luck's a big part of that. I'll never deny that. But if you can't get into the dance, you can't be on the good side of luck. And he correct. And his teams, <laughs> his teams have not um, done that. But um, the reason why I think it's okay, and I'm not quite as upset as I was the day of the announcement, is. My main concern was uh, the Penguins losing Jason Botterill by not going with him. But they've seemed to uh, found a way to keep him on and empower him. Um, quite frankly, the, the vibe that I get from this is that he'll be really calling most of the shots. And Rutherford will just be the guy at the press conferences kind of saying what they've done. As opposed right, to the so one maybe ultimately so deciding. If you look at it that way, then, and, and I, I pretty much agree with what you're saying, why even have him there then? Why not just go? Well, we've had Botterill in, in our system for a while. He's obviously got qualities that the ownership uh, believe in. Um, you know, analytics is a big part. We'll get go over the analytics stuff later on. But you get there and go. So why even bother paying Rutherford to to do this? I mean, I know Pittsburgh. Are, what you'd call are what you'd call flush with money now compared to what they were previously. But you clubs don't just shouldn't just throw money away. I don't, I, you know, if I've seen places where people have got there and said, 
why why not just give him the the reins and, and let him go? And I kind of agree. I don't see why they shouldn't just give him the reins and, and have, you know, the, the other two guys that they've got there as as um, assistant GMs and stuff like that. Just go with the youth and just do it. Um, I do find it as a needless step. I think Jason Botterill could be the GM right now, and. You know, they say they want to groom him more or what have you, but he's he's been with the Penguins for seven years now. Does that show you that he had an extremely limited role in regards to the decision-making process that Shiro was doing and they feel like he needs a bridging couple of years? It's a fair point, and I do think that's valid because from everything I gather there over the past season or two, there has been some discourse in the front office, and I think a lot of it, stemmed probably from how Botterill saw how he wanted things to happen and how Cheryl wanted things to happen and, and how he perceived them. And obviously Cheryl being the general manager, it's his call. He went with uh, his decisions and ultimately it, it cost him his job. And it's one of those things that, that had, had been and hopefully will still be that good is that upper management have stayed out of the hockey decisions and maybe maybe that's why they've got Rutherford in to sort of make them feel a little bit safer that the young guys aren't going to go and do something crazy out of left field. I don't know, but you get a bit worried when you hear that, you know, Lemieux might have had a, a bit of influence over the last two years wanting to get involved in the, the hockey ops stuff when really he shouldn't touch it. He either gets involved and does it full time or stays out altogether. Lemieux is a tough one because he is one of the best, some may think the best player of all time, so it's it's tough to not value his hockey ops kind of thing. Doesn't but make, doesn't make you, doesn't make you great at evaluating other talent. One of the things it doesn't matter what sport you're in, if you are one of the greatest players of all time, you can't teach the stuff you're good at. Yeah, you're, and you're so, absolutely correct. And trying to evaluate players that can't do the stuff that you can do, I think skews what what happens. It's one of the reasons that. You know, sometimes armchair general managers can, can make some pretty good calls on players because they couldn't do the things that, that these players can do and you can see where their holes in their games are. It's just, it happens over here in, in, in the AFL football here. You get players that bring players and they get fast-tracked to be um, head coaches over here and they fail dismally and spectacularly because they don't know how to translate two players that don't have the skill sets that they were just blessed with. Yep, that's totally valid. And that's why I think they've kept with Botterill and um, his uh, director of player personnel, Dan McKinnon. Um, There was an article by James Myrtle that, that said that McKinnon and Botterill are two of the more progressive thinkers around the league, statistically speaking. So clearly when you look at some of Shero's moves from the past couple years, um, trading for Brendan Morrow and, and more famously Doug Murray, who who's not big on any analytical person's list. <laughs> um, he's actually towards the bottom. That hurts you big time, that trade. You bring that up a lot in regards to assets given for assets received. That one burns you big time. Well, considering that one of the, the biggest, the Penguins' biggest problems right now is kind of youthful depth prospect pool, and you've thrown two second-round picks against a, a glacier with no puck skills who is playing bottom-pairing penalty kill minutes, like that's the return you want? I mean... Second round picks aren't a guarantee, but there sure is hell a better chance than not having them. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. Do you think now this is thinking a little bit differently? Do you think Botterill could have even asked to have an older head there and go, look, guys, I want the job. I don't want to go anywhere else. I, I know I can do this, but having another older head there to bounce things off, who's actually going to listen to me and not discount what I say. Mm. have them there and, and then we can we can shift across and I'll be the GM. It's tough to answer without knowing him on a personal level. Yeah. But I think most guys that aspire to be general managers would probably not scoff at the opportunity, especially when they've already been with that organization for seven years. 
I was just trying to make look at it a different way. And no, I no, I, that's that's. Well. I just um. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Hopefully, uh, you know, they get away from the the poor players that have cost them dearly. Um, and I know we we beat these poor guys up: Craig Adams, and Tanner Glass, Doug Murray, the, those kind of players. Joe Vitale, they're they're not good, and it's it's easy to see that they're not good by just watching and by the numbers. So Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh's cap situation forces them to have to try and get every dollar out of all those players that are in those in that bottom six situation now. They don't have a lot of space to get there and and pony up on on someone unless they unless they give someone up unless they do a trade. So they're going to have to be really good with the analytics and they're going to have to try and eke out as much positive stuff out of their players uh, than they do because um, they have to go to the young contracts, the cheap contracts on the back end. They don't really have a choice with that. Um, So that opens up a little bit of space, but you you can't be spending 1.1 million on a fourth lineup. It just, and you don't go for a, Penalty kill specialist. Well, you it's could you could spend the one point one if the guy can play, but you yeah, can't spend one point one on Tanner Glass. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yep, totally agree. Um, I do think there's been a little bit of some self-realization because uh, in that same James Myrtle article that there was a belief within the Penguins organization that they lost an edge on that analytical front in recent years to the Blackhawks, the Blues, the Kings, all teams that are really highly thought of. And all three of those teams could have made a run um, at the Stanley Cup this year, and the Blackhawks and Kings certainly in the conference finals. But the Blackhawks played the Blues in round one, so that was a that was seven games, right? I think so. I think so. I think they got two up and then... Was it? No, it was six. Two up, and then they lost four. Sh- oh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah either way, it's, yeah, they lost. <laughs> but to your point, they have to get great at the analytics part of it, so that they can surround the Crosby and Malkin with with appropriate depth. That can can the Penguins get Sidney Crosby out of a, a shutdown center role like he was last year? Because geez, ideally you'd want him running wild, not worrying about guarding the best players in the world. You want him scoring on mediocre players. That would be the matchup I would want. Now, we need to sort of preface all of this analytics, analytics, analytics. It's not the God particle. All it, all it helps you do is be right more often. You've still got to use the eye test. You've still got to see why someone's analytics are good. You you might get there and, and, and scour through all these numbers and go, all right, this person here is statistically fits what we're looking for. But then you've got to get there and go back through game tape and actually spend the time to see why that person's is, – is it the line mates that that person's playing with as to why those numbers are good? And you take them out of that particular environment and they're going to go south. So you, you can't you can't rely on, on the analytics and you can't rely solely on the eye test. You've got to combine the two of them together. It just narrows – it narrows your margin of error. And that's the important thing. Pittsburgh's margin of error with their salary cap is extremely small now. Um, they have to get every dollar they can out of every player that they sign because they're so top-heavy in regards to where all their cash is. So um, the you get there and, and it's a difficult thing to try and sell to people that don't like the analytics because they think that we think that the analytics have been all and end all, and they're not. They're just another tool to use to help evaluate talent. You can't just rely on your eye test anymore, um, and you can't rely solely on the analytics. It doesn't work that way. Well, something that I wrote the other day on Hockey Buzz was that put yourself in the shoes of a general manager or the associate general manager position. Can you watch every player and every team all the of time? Not. So. The analytics help you find some statistical anomalies that can guide you towards certain players that you might not have otherwise thought. Then you start watching him more and more on game film and and, and see some of the things that he does. They can steer you in a direction that you would have never 
would have thought about going towards. And and you can get some real steals doing it that way. I kind of uh, liken it to finding a needle in a haystack, except you have a metal detector now. Yeah, all the all the haystacks are hell of a lot smaller. Yeah, so it just helps. Lot of, you'd be flushing out a lot of people that you'd be looking at for a, a fourth line center on this team, and you can get there and scour through the the stats, and then go, all right, these five guys look good. Sit down and watch hours of tape on those guys, and then work out which one fits what you're after, and, and it makes finding those needles a hell of a lot easier. And and to your point before, you're not going to be right all the time. And the the thing with the stats is you can't just say, oh. He has a higher course. He's he's better than this guy, and that's just not how it, how you use the stats. You shouldn't be using just one stat to to make your analysis. You should be combining tons of information to come to your conclusions. Um, player usage charts, like you said, if I take this guy from this team and put him in this specific role on my team, what's going to happen? Well, if he was starting in his defensive zone all the time and playing the highest competition and doing well, chances are you could probably put him in any role and he'll do good. On the flip side, you could have a guy that's starting in the offensive zone all the time against weak competition who's doing well. But if you kind of take him out of that sheltered role, can he still do good? I don't know. And you don't have to bring someone in that has to fill that sheltered role because you don't want to have Crosby sitting in his defensive zone having to take all the defensive draws. You want it on the reverse. So it's decisions like that that, that using the numbers um, can really help you narrow down that search. Um, they don't have a head coach yet either, which is which is difficult, because the head coach is going to determine how the team plays. So they've got a lot of decisions to make before June 30. And I, admittedly, it's a, few, it's a couple of weeks away. Um, but they do have some serious decisions in regards to what direction they want to take a team that's been push, 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 offense, 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 and, and work out whether they want to keep going that way but with a slightly different roster or whether they need to change things up with the particular coach that they hire. Um, I think they should still value the speed and skill. Obviously, the X's and O's might not be identical to what Dan Bilesma did, but a lot of the Penguins' problems was just having poor players in the bottom six. So I think if you shore that up, you can still play that more attack mode. Um, I think the Blackhawks are a great example of kind of never letting their foot off the pedal kind of team. If you've got, if you've got the puck, you can't get scored on. Yeah, so I, I do think that's the way to go. I don't think they have to, like... I don't want them going into some kind of defensive shell. Um, oh, I, kind think of that stuff. Would, I don't think that would work. I think everyone understands the way that team's constructed that that, that won't work. The players won't enjoy that, and they'll, they'll shut it out. So Can't say I'd blame them. No, that's right. You, yeah, totally agree. Um, but sp- speaking of coaches, though, um, I don't think the way they got rid of Bilesman was particularly... Um, Particularly good for how the club looks. No, I, they've been getting beat up. There's been some articles written that express discontent that they kind of let Bilesma hang around. I, uh, their original premise was, oh, we're going to let the the new GM choose his coach. And basically when Rutherford went up for the press conference, he's like, no, nah, they kind of told me how they felt and you know, I never met with him. Uh, Rutherford never met with Bilesma to, to That's of, even worse. But here's it looks bad, but business is business, and quite frankly, just because you're getting rid of a coach doesn't mean he's a bad coach. They know this. He's gonna go on, he's probably gonna have some success. They didn't want that success shoved in their face with the Washington Capitals. No, I get I totally understand it. It's just the way it looks. I totally agree. Business is business, you don't Put yourself at a disadvantage just because it's convenient or it should be done because it's nice for that particular person. You do what's right for your investment. I mean, you don't need that thrown in your face. You don't need to have Bilesman go to Washington, even though everyone says, you know, Trotz was always going to get the job. Yeah, I'm not so sure that's so if Bilesman was available. I'm not, I don't think the Trotz thing is necessarily a slam dunk. I think there'd be a discussion to be had about that. 
you know? Yeah. Well, you look at the way that roster's constructed and, and a, a coach like Bilesma, because that I kind of feel sorry for the, the Washington Caps roster. They've had to, to learn how to play about 20 different ways over the last three years or two and a half years, in season, at the end of the season, then a new coach comes. It just, everything seems to have changed in regards to what the players are expected to do. And, and I think that's why they've struggled. It hasn't so much been... Yeah, they've got holes in that roster, but but having no consistency year to year in regards to what's expected of them on the ice, I don't think would have helped them at all. It's a cautionary tale for the Penguins because Boudreau had them playing that attack, 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 and that's when they were at their peak. Then they went into try and pretend to be a trapping, non-attack kind of team, and I don't think they've recovered since that change. And Anaheim have flourished under the same um, Boudreau style. So, I get it. It looked bad, but I, I don't really blame the Penguins for not wanting their one of their chief rivals to hire that guy with motivation <laughs> against them. No, I, I get, I get it too. It just it looked poorly. That's all. It just looked bad. I mean, everyone was expecting Shiro to stay and Bosworth to go, and then that didn't happen. And everyone was like, "What the hell's going on here? This is." this shouldn't be happening, and, and then they held on to him and held on to him, and everyone said, well, he's a lame duck. There's no way he can stay at that club. Um, and then the reasons that, that Rutherford have stated in regards to what type of coach he wants um, sort of shows that the 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 downfalls that Bilesmer has sort of been having the finger pointed at him by, you know, people like us in regards to he can't make in-game adjustments, those sorts of things, that's the sort of coach that, that Rutherford's looking for. Yeah, he didn't sugarcoat that either, did he? No, he just flat out said it. I mean, <laughs> that was pretty funny. He just came out and basically called out uh, the lack of adjustments. Um, it's kind of rare to see that kind of blunt approach. A uh, little refreshing. Yeah. Yeah, he says, uh, but based on looking at the Penguins from a distance, because that's where I was, I don't think they could make the proper adjustments against certain teams. So that's going to be a key factor when I'm looking at a head coach. So who do you think steps in? I don't know. Yeah, because i got no idea either. I, I, can't, I can't think of a retread that they'd want to go to. So you get there and go, this is a cup-contending team. Where do you go in regards to that second tier of, of assistant coaches somewhere that you go, you know what, I can... And there are some retreads in that assistant coaching, you know, platform as well, where you go, I would trust that person to take, you know, to have the confidence to stick with what they know to take a team to the Stanley Cup. I think John Stevens. That was one that I thought of. Is is one of those guys. Obviously, he's with L.A. right now doing a pretty nice job. Uh, Come on, how about Pierre? Oh, dude. (laughs) Come on. I mean, Rutherford said he says he has a short list. I trust that he has a short list. I just don't know who's on it. And it would just be guesswork for me to pretend that I, I did. I think it would be a very short list. Um, I don't want... I, I hear Rick Tockett's name thrown around a lot. I, I, I don't exactly want to see that in a head coaching role. Maybe an assistant would be fine, but I just don't. Why? Because I have to. Why has he got so popular with the general pundit? Why? Why? Why have have the general person liked that idea? The Pittsburgh fan has, has got on that idea. Why do you reckon they like that so much? Because he's he's a former Stanley Cup champion from for the Penguins, and he everybody has the perception that it was kind of a country club around the Penguins the last few years, and he's kind of that vocal, hard-on players, kind of tougher kind of coach. But, And that could be fine in an assistance role. I just I think he can do better for a head. That's just my opinion. No offense to him. No, no, no. It's one of those things where, you know, his name's cropped up you know, in a few places, and I sort of get there and think, I don't think he was particularly successful when he was that style of coach. I didn't think it particularly worked. The, it's hard. You could, If you look at when Tockett played in regards to how players were treated 
mentally by their coaches and how players are being treated now by their coaches, that rough and tumble, great them the wrong way to make them hate you so that they play in spite of you rather than for you, mm-hmm. I don't think that works. Not even for a couple of years. I don't think... Um, I know Sutter has that rough and gruff look about him, but I don't think he coaches at his players that way. I think he, he has that exterior for the officials, for the media, so that um, he feels like he's in control of all that stuff. But I, I just don't see him on the bench when things go wrong, absolutely ripping the crap out of players and, and that sort of stuff. He'll sit a guy... And, and have them not get the minutes, that'll be how he'll do it. But he doesn't seem to be the sort of guy that tears tears shreds off players. No, I think he gets more upset by being forced to do interviews. It seems that way, doesn't it? <laughs> or is it just who he's getting interviewed by? No, well, no I, <laughs> I honestly think he hates the entire media yep, like, portion of his job, which... It's fine. He's in it for the hockey. Yes, that's true. Um, they'll probably have the Penguins will probably have their hire before July one, like we said. So it'll be interesting to kind of see where they go with it. Who uh, who they interview? I know. I think they had mentioned at least one of their people that they were looking at still coaching right now. So. I assume that could be John Stevens. The other yep. guess I would have would be Alf Samuelson. See, I wouldn't mind either of those. So I thought Stevens coached Philly quite well those years that he was at Philly. And I think the room fell apart more than him coaching poorly, if that makes sense. And, um, and he's done beautifully. I don't think there's any coincidence that him being in that coaching staff at L.A., they're playing well. That's an understatement. Yeah. Because Olfie would be good too. I mean, you look at both of those coaches and you've got every reason to think that they're going to be okay in regards to taking over a team that's expected to do well. I mean, they're right in the, they're right in the fire right now attempting to win one. They finally got some breathing room. Three, three seven-game series in a row. Finally up to nothing. Yes, well, how they got to that. that look, I find it's amazing. It's the one thing that you see through Twitter is they haven't led in any of those games and yet they're up to zip. It just shows you how fickle hockey can be in regards to not putting a team away. You shouldn't really get up by two goals and then lose two games in the same situation, basically. Well, that's why you can never play it safe. You always have to go for that third goal. Or that three-goal lead. And if you watch the Penguins enough, I don't think you can even pull the pedal off because when they pull the pedal off at 3-zip or 4-1, they can still get their asses handed to them. So you're exactly right. You just keep pushing. And LA has so much belief this year in regards to their ability to come back. Um, It's amazing. I mean, it, it helps that, yeah, if you look at Jonathan Quick's numbers, not fantastic, but he's made the save to keep them in the game when he's had to. His numbers are actually pretty bad. Yeah, they're flurryish numbers. It's just that he's managed to he's managed to make the save when it's needed to be done, and and that's been the well. They trust him. I could I could look at it from a different angle. Go for it. If he didn't allow the goals beforehand, that he probably should have saved. He, you know, the importance of that save that he's making probably goes down. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, and you, you look at that in the complete reverse of the way I look at it, um, but I don't coach, whereas you do. <laughs> so I just want basic saves made. Um, yes. Yep. I don't need the the super ones, you know what I mean? Yep. They're nice when you get them, obviously. Yeah. You shouldn't have to rely on them. Just give me the nickel and dime saves and sprinkle in a few, few million dollar ones rather than allowing the nickel and dime goals and the, and relying on million-dollar saves to keep your team in the game. I, but he's, he's an aggressive goalie. That's the, the problem you've got. When you've got an aggressive goalie, you're going to get that, that issue. Because of his athleticism, he... It's intoxicating. 
It is. And you get there and if he loses any confidence in what he does, i.e. what happened to Fleury, that contract's going to look terrible. But it you is cannot, terrible. You cannot blame LA for signing him for that. Uh, you could. Like, like you said, he, he won... He won the con Smythe, whereas Fleury didn't. And for the Penguins' sake, it's probably a good thing he didn't win the con Smythe. Well, you, you look. I think, I think Quick is Fleury West. To be yeah, honest you with said, you, his yeah. his incredible run through the postseason ended with a Cup championship, and he was awarded the con Smythe. I think Fleury played at that same exact level, but the year they lost in the final. Correct. They had to win it for him to win it. And he probably would have won the Conn Smythe. But the planets aligned for both of them. Neither of them have hit that level since. No. And I I think Quick is clo- a lot closer to Flurry than he is closer to the Lundquist. Um, yeah, but the, the difference for, for me with Quick, though, is that I know you don't like the fact he can't make those nickel and dimes, but he's making those those important saves and those stupidly good saves when he has to. They're only important and, though because he's led in the other ones. Yeah, but I don't I don't care about the fact that why they're important. He's making those saves though, like he's got that intestinal fortitude to get there and go. You know, I have to make this save, and he makes it. For me, it's like Grant Fuhr. He would let in some stupid goals. Admittedly, he had a he had a team in front of him that that could put six in if, you, if he gave up five. But he still made the save to, instead of it being five zip, he kept it 4-1 or something like that. And that's the thing for me. Lundqvist doesn't put himself in that situation because of all the things that you, you like about Lundqvist. Um, they're two different goalies. They, they attack the game completely differently. Um, but Quick is making that save that he has to make to keep his team in it to allow them to come back. And... and Lundqvist plays differently, and he's down to zip at the moment, playing the way he has. I think the Kings are winning in spite of Jonathan Quick. That's definitely that's definitely a good argument to take as well. I don't think he's a positive difference maker on this team. Um, I know a lot of people are like, how can you criticize the goalie that's probably going to win two Stanley Cup championships? Well, the last people- time they did it, he was incredible. People um, would do that to Chris Osgood. But I, I just don't. I think that was an anomaly. And I think his contract is way too long for way too much money. How long is it again? I can't remember. They they bought high. Yeah, and that's always the risk you're at. Like, gosh, I, I really do think Quick and Flurry are so similar. Because a lot of, you hear the same arguments for and against both of them. Yeah. Uh, that what you can argue is that they're two of the most aesthetically pleasing goalies to watch because of their athleticism. They're fun to watch. Correct. They just not might not be, you know, getting the job done for the actual hockey on the ice. But I do enjoy watching them play, and they both seem like great people. So it's not like I enjoy picking them apart. But I. I think there are a lot better goalies out there. I think they're both average. And, um, you know, it is what it is. I, I feel pretty strongly about that. Um, well, it comes down to caps. But you know what? That wouldn't matter if it was if it was before the cap came in because you could just – you could have that problem but then load up your back six. It, it wouldn't matter. But those contracts take up so much space of your roster – that's when it starts to become a problem. If he's only, if these guys are only average and you're paying them to be above average to good, which is what their contracts are at, maybe a little higher, and they're not giving you at least good, then you, you're in a situation where you go, well, Christ, how else do we restructure our team to make up for, for the cap space they're taking? It's a tough, it's a tough thing. Um... There was a tweet last week, and I can't remember by who, but they compiled the backup goaltender stats for L.A. the last few years compared to Quicks, and the backups were killing him. This could be my um, ignorance here asking this, but I feel like Jonathan Quick came out of nowhere 
and was just suddenly really, really good. And it might just be because he's in the West. But it felt like he just sort of appeared the year they won the Cup and then obviously went another level when they won the Cup. Um, it didn't feel to me like he was tagged to be good. Everyone was expecting it. Was, you know, it wasn't like a Carey Price or a Henry Lundquist sort of a situation. Um, and then obviously a Fleury situation where he was expected to be number one. So, you know, the expectation was there for him to be good. For me, it just felt like Quick kind of came out of nowhere and then was fantastic. He was fantastic for that season. Um, so. You got anything in particular about the two games that you want to discuss that you've seen so far? Yeah, it's just. Like we said before, the the Rangers have have to find a way once they're up two to just put the stranglehold on, because as you mentioned, this team believes the Kings. They don't believe they're ever dead because they were down three nothing in the series in the first round, came back and won, fought through Anaheim, fought back or relinquished their uh, dominance against the Blackhawks and still managed to pull off uh, Game 7. So, you know, they're never going to be dead until you put them away for good. But how... Do you think that... Do you think losing the the two-goal leads was a conscious decision by the Rangers to sit back? Or do you think LA just went, well, we're down two, we might as well push a little more? Or a combination, I suppose. That's a very good question. I don't think that it's like, oh, my God, the Rangers are sitting back because um, I don't think that's the case. I think maybe a little bit of bad luck going on because we all know yeah. luck plays a big part in all this. But, you know, L.A. picks up a guy like Gabrick to, to boost their offense and – he scores the tying goal late in the middle of the third period. I picked the Rangers to win this purely on the whole. It would be a great story, Marty St. Louis, all that sort of stuff. But I kind of want LA to win because of what Gabaric's gone through his career in regards to injuries, traded around, told that he, he sucks in the playoffs, he's not clutch, and he's been clutch. So um, it would be great for him to, to win it. And the other thing I find funny is that Flyers West will have two Stanley Cups to Pittsburgh's one. So you get there and you look at the complaints that Jeff Carter used to get hey, when he played in. Philly zero. Well, you know, ignore that. <laughs> but, yeah, but you get there and, you, like, I know Richards has really, really struggled. Um, but Jeff Carter's been fantastic. Yep. And, and that change of environment for him um, out of Columbus, he's just flourished over there. So... Whatever happened to him when he went to LA, whether it's the nightlife that he's there allowed, allowing him to do what he wants and all that sort of stuff that he used to get into trouble for in um, Philly, or if it's just the fact that he has settled down and, and decided to take his career seriously, um, whatever it is, it's worked because he's been fantastic. Justin Williams is another former flyer. Yeah, but that's gone no, to I a know. few different yeah, I know. <laughs> that's the thing that's funny. You get there and this happens with a lot of Pittsburgh fans. They get there and go, oh, they should never have got rid of him. But he's gone through three different organizations before someone's got to where they're playing well. And it's the situation. Obviously, they weren't working in that environment. I mean, Marcus Naslin's one, probably one of the better examples of, of that happening. Um, and even Marty Stracker, who came back, is another example of um, guys that they gave up on early. Um, but the players had to go through, you know, different paths to end up being good with who they were well justin williams was good in carolina he's actually on that cup winning team but he ran into injuries and they kind of bailed on him which fair enough and that was um probably a mistake i know i know justin williams gets credit for you know the goals game seven goals you know final overtime goals. But he's one of very few players to, uh, ah, what was the stat Mr. Travis Yost put out there? He's one of only like three players that have led his team in possession three years, four years in a row. 
um, which I find impressive considering Kopitar's on his team and Dowdy. So it's not just the goals. It's that he's putting himself in situations in the other team's end for him to get those goals. Correct. And that's that whole putting, you know, it's tipping the table your, your way so things are easier to do. Tell you what, Dowdy has, he looks like he's having so much fun out there. Yes. You look at what he does and you go, you can't do that. But he does it and doesn't screw up. Well, and... <laughs> he gave up that, that breakaway goal when he flubbed it at the blue line. He tried to kind of backhand yeah. toe drag it along the blue line skating backwards, kind of like the uh, Sergei Gonchar used to do. Yeah, that's right. Um, but he lost it, but then he scores a highlight reel mint upper blocker goal on Lundqvist to tie the game. So, yeah, he's having fun. He's he's good volume wise outweighs his bad so much that you just you know you're gonna have to cop that occasionally where it, it's not a brain fade it's just a skill error you know something just went wrong unlucky you know what I mean so you could say it's a mental error for doing it at the time he did and how he went about it but it's just a skill error it happens everybody has skill errors um, but the amount of times he just does things that so creative and, and so beneficial for the side you, you don't sit in for that you just go yeah whatever <laughs> yeah well, burgess guys that handle the puck all the time are probably going to eventually make a mistake with the puck if they have it all the time yep totally agree kind of like uh chris Latang. yeah he's that's an interesting situation with him he he didn't play well the last year and a half but he certainly has similar physical skills to Drew Doughty yep will he figure out the mental part I I don't know I'm thinking I'm looking forward to seeing how he reacts to the coaching change and perhaps the simplification of the defensive zone coverages that the Penguins have used in the last few years. It's going to be the X's and O's in their back end that's going to change in regards to whether it's a good or a bad thing. I think that's the the big thing for me in regards to how they do their behind-the-net coverage, how they rotate when a defender gets caught or gets beat. Um, Those sorts of things are going to be interesting for me in regards to how they, they change their system in those regards. Yeah, they did a, a puck retrieval system that, when working, looks fantastic, but has very little room for error, as as we've seen the last number of years, and it can end up in your net very fast. I think if and that's and that's where a lack of depth requires a change of attack, a change of approach, I should say, um, from the coaching staff. It's all right when. You, you've got you know your full complement of players, but as soon as Dupree went down, that roster became so thin, and there was no adjustment for that. The guys down in Wilkesbury do play the same system, so they can come up and get involved in it, but their skill set's not the same to be able to perform it at that level. So you're going to get more errors. It'll be interesting to see uh, where they go with that. I think it'll help a few guys out. How do we get back onto the Penguins? Sorry, guys. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> Any predictions for the Stanley Cup final moving forward? Um, I'll give I'll give you two. If LA win Game Three, it's going to end up being a five-game series. If New York win Game Three, I think it goes seven. And I have no idea who wins Game Seven, but it'll, I think it'll end up being New York will, will feel a lot more relieved if they win Game Three. They'll feel confident they can win Game Four. They'll do so. Um, I have a feeling it'll it'll run home and home, um, and then you'll get Game Seven. Actually, you know what? I reckon it'll be two at home, two at home, and then New York will have won three in a row because they'll beat LA in LA. LA will go to New York, win in New York. You'll come back to LA, and um, and then it's a coin toss. Well, I think New York has done some really nice things. They flashed their speed. They Their fourth line actually had a terrific game Saturday night, uh, mm. last night. 
But their goals have been direct results of unforced errors, some of mostly. And I just think if the Kings don't hand them as much as they've done, it could really pose a problem for the Rangers moving forward. Like if Dowdy doesn't turn that over at the blue line, if Justin Williams doesn't make that bad breakout pass, those if Quick doesn't leave a terrible puck behind the net for his defenseman, those kind of things that are easily avoidable, I, I think it'll be an uphill battle for, for the Rangers. You, so do you feel like um, L.A. have let New York in more so than New York have pushed their way? I don't want to be unfair to New York because they have played well in stretches. And I think it, I would, Yeah, I know what you're saying. I don't want to disrespect the Rangers because they have played yeah. well. But I do think outside of short spurts, I don't think you've seen the, the A game from the Kings. Yep. And if they string some periods of that together, like they did against Chicago, like they figured out a way to do against um, the Sharks. Because yeah. when they get on a roll, they do it for about three games. Well, they don't need that many now. That's my point. Yeah, good point. What's the equalizer, though? It doesn't matter possession and all that stuff. That the Rangers have the better guy by a long shot in the, in the net. net, but he has played well and he's still given up five. It'd be nice. It would be nice for Lundqvist to play well in these next two games and win, and 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 have the team actually score four in front of him and him only leading one, just because he still cops a little bit of flack of not being able to win sort of big guys like this year, it's been a watershed year for him in that regards in that he's won elimination games. Like he won three elimination games against Pittsburgh. Um, he won elimination games when, when he needed to against Montreal. I think he so, always has won the elimination games. I think the problem the Rangers have had in recent memory is that they stop winning games when they're ahead in the series. C- correct. But he got he got over that. He's, he's managed to get around that stuff this time, and so it'd be great to see him go. Like how every, I think almost everyone likes Henry Lundqvist. You can't not root for him if you know what I mean. Like I hate the Rangers, but if there's one guy on that team that I, you know, you can always sort of hope does well is Lundqvist. Um, it'd be just nice to see him see him do well, and and if they win or lose, as long as he's played well, it'd. I have a question. Does he pick up the cup yes. if they win? They don't have a captain. I say he should be the guy. No, he won't be. St. Louis will get it. Mm, a trade they'll deadline guy is going to be the one that gets it from Batman. Yeah, they'll give it to St. Louis. No, because they may hand it to him first, but they ain't no. going to send him up there. I don't know. It, it, I think it's it would be Brad Richards before St. Louis. Well, oh, look, if it's not if it's not St. Louis for me, it'll be Lundqvist. Lundqvist will be the one that'll get to go and grab it because if they don't have the captain, it'll be Lundqvist and then it would be St. Louis. Or they'll do what Pittsburgh did, and you're right. It'll, the first person that'll get it, like Garen got, will be Marty St. Louis. I think there's 0% chance that St. Louis is up there shaking hands with Batman. Because he's, he's a deadline pickup. Some of those guys yeah. have been there a while. Yep, uh, that's all right. Because they did this. Look, Colorado did it for, for Ray Bork. He was the guy that got it straight after Joe Sackick had it. Correct, but who? Well, obviously he's the captain. So that this is a unique it's, situation with no captain. It is. It's, it's yeah. But for uh, my money, I don't... the only way the Rangers are winning it is Henrik, and quite frankly, he is the franchise. Let that man go up yep. there, take that photo op, if they so find a way to come back from a 2-0 deficit. And if I saw on the internet correctly, only three times of the last 34, 35 series that have gone 2-0 did the team that was 0-2 come back and win. 
Yeah, so it's not look and for them to win hands up getting the cons might. That's sort of the only way it works as well. So and but to that, two of the teams that have done it were recent. Semi recent. The Boston Bruins coming back against the Vancouver Canucks and the Pittsburgh Penguins coming back over the Red Wings after falling down 0-2. So, could happen. I don't think it will, but it'll be fun to uh, watch it play out if the Rangers make a run at it. I kind of hope it goes 2-2. And then yeah, it's I, I just want to watch more hockey. I, I don't care who wins, really. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I get what you mean. Well, I don't know. I kind of want L.A. to win, I guess. But, Is there a reason for that? Um, yeah, I think I mentioned in another podcast, uh, Dustin Brown, semi-local guy. That was the last podcast. How bad's my memory? Um, so anytime the, the Stanley Cup can kind of come into your area, it's nice, so... Oh, yeah, take it and run, of course. Now, if Ryan Callahan was still on the Rangers, um, he is from where I am. So, yes, I would have been pulling pretty hard for that, but I'm not so sure the Rangers are where they are if they don't uh, make that trade. Yeah, that had to happen. No, a great trade for the Rangers. Um, at the time, I said it would be a great short-term trade for them, and it has been. And I think St. Louis will give him another good year next year. Yeah, there's no reason to think that he would drop off substantially. He may drop off a little bit, but I, I couldn't see him falling off the planet. Ever see his quads? No, but I could imagine how large they'd be compared to how short he is. They'd be massive. Yeah, he ain't dropping off that drastic. He's, he's in good shape. He's got the explosiveness that most guys don't have regardless of age. It'll be interesting, though, to see uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning and how they handle the uh, Callahan thing. I think um, I think there's a real big potential there to, to seeing one of those uh, cringe-worthy contracts where you're just like, ugh, that ain't going to end well. You reckon? Yeah. Because you you, they won't let him walk, will they? Uh, I don't know. I think... I think the right decision is to let him walk if well I guess it all depends on the term are you giving him eight years because I think that's bad no matter what money you're paying him yeah and then you're probably he's not going to sign for less than what he just made I don't think and that's yeah it's going to be interesting to see how they they sort that out in Tampa that's it's got David Clarkson written all over it Gonna, I don't think he's going to be bad next year. To be honest, their numbers are similar throughout their careers, possession and otherwise. Actually, Clarkson may even get the nod in that department. I think he does. So you got to really be careful. Yeah, it's funny. You get uh, there are. You know, there's a history of players moving to new clubs and having a terrible first year. The Penguins have gone through a couple of them with, with Martin and Goncha, and, and they get it right. So, you know, it, we'll have to wait and see on those things. The next, you know, uh, start of next year will be, will be fun. Well, I hope they don't wait and see on Scuderi. No, that has to change, and it'll be interesting to see how they make it happen. I don't... Gosh... I don't know if that's doable, but they, they damn well better try hard. Yeah, well, they can't buy them out. They don't have that option, so they, they have to they move could. It just won't be a compliance buyout. Which means he stays on the cap, doesn't he? Yeah, a little bit. See, I'd like I'd like him to just trade him for bag of pucks, as the saying goes, and just get all these cap space, bring the young guys in, and, and then use the cap space that you've created for other parts that everyone knows is that team needs. So that's that's how I would like to see them handle that. But his, I don't know whether Scuderi's got no trade clauses in there in his yes, contract or anything like that. Yeah. So that's 
it's probably one it's of the problems with, with that contract is that he's, you know, you might want to ship him off to who's a low cap, who's a low cap team that's going to have to to get above the cap, and you go, well, you want to send him there, but he's most likely got, you know, I I'll give you a list of five teams that I don't want to get traded to, and. They're usually the ones that that are in that five. Those those teams that are struggling to get to the cap floor. Yeah, and a Penguins utopia. He he will certainly be gone, traded, cap hit off the books. Uh, maybe, gosh, maybe the Islanders. He's from Long Island. I'm sure he wouldn't be opposed to going there. Will could Gar Snow make another folly? I'd try to find out. I guess. Well, thankfully, we're not getting paid to do it. Someone else is at the moment. Yeah, that's not going to be an easy one. Or Pickle no. get overpaid. Somewhere. Hopefully not there. Who knows? Maybe where Bilesma goes. Yeah, you mentioned that. Not a bad, um, not a bad thought process. Bilesma takes the Florida job. I could see Brooks following him there. What about Vancouver? Um, no, I just don't think that's a team that's in the right spot. They're kind of an older version of the Penguins. Yeah. So they'd ask him and he'd say no, you reckon? No, I'm not so sure he'd say no. I just don't think that would be a better fit than Florida. I think Florida's yeah. got some really nice young pieces. They're getting better. They have the number one pick this year. So That's quite handy. <laughs> so they're going to get good players. They have good players. Barkov, Huberdeau, um, the Luongo and Net. at least, you know, in the short term, that's that's a really good goalie to have, I think. Campbell's still there, isn't he? Yeah, he's still very, very good at what he does. Um, so... They, they got some pieces there. And yeah, I don't know what they'll do with the one pick. I'm, I have a sense that they'll probably go Ekblad. So. At least they're not going to trade it away. I guess they could. Um, yeah, they're in an interesting spot. Because the one pick, it's not like a Nate McKinnon or a Patrick Kane or something like that this year. So if somebody's yeah, really like, dead set, they love one of these guys, it's not a guy that's that good to where you wouldn't be like, eh, all right, I'll entertain this. Because they're not they're not in a situation, I suppose, where they have to turn it around quick because the 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 headcount through the gate is low anyway. It's not like it's been high and then it's suddenly dropped off. So they've still got that low expectation with the Florida fan base that they can take that couple of years to to grab someone as opposed to going, you know, we've got number one pick. There isn't a what you'd call a consensus um, franchise player and trade him off for a package of, of, of guys or, you know, for one of a thought process, a Joe Thornton that would suddenly make them, you know, extremely competitive, I think, with that roster that they've got. Obviously a package with, with Thornton. Um, to then get there and go, let's try and go for some instant quick success. They should take the slow path that they've been taking. Yeah, they should definitely not trade for 35-year-old guys and try to the shortcut method. They, they have a good thing right here. Let it ride. Yeah, totally agree. So, anything else? I think we're good. I think we've covered it. Very good. Okay. I guess that's going to do it for this week. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Gunner Stahl. You can find Cameron at Walshy66. You can find our Hockey Hurts website, Twitter, at Hockey underscore Hurts, HockeyHurts.com. Find my Penguins-related material at HockeyBuzz.com. Uh, some statistical work I do at Hockey Prospectus. And uh, CoachCW.com. Yep, that's where you can find me. Yep, CoachCW.com. It's where you can find the online training. So, 
if you guys need some direction with what you're doing on your own, jump on there, have a look, and um, I can help you out. I guess lastly, if, if you do access this podcast um, via iTunes, just take that extra second, give us a rating, um, try and boost our podcast up a little bit. So when you type in hockey, maybe ours pops up there, get the listenership up. Um, that would be much appreciated. Till then, see you next week. Catch you, guys.